0: Name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have the sign wars started in your neighborhood? Yeah, they have in mine. Every four years around this time, it begins. One person, one day, puts out their preferred candidate's political sign. Then after that, someone else does. Then, after that, much like mushrooms popping out of the ground, the neighborhood. Now, not to be outdone, not to be outdone. There are flags. Flags! I haven't seen flags in many years, and now flags are joining in into the sign wars. Clothing, bumper stickers, everywhere you go, sign wars. We may not know our neighbors' names. We may not know their children's names. We may not even know their dog's name, but we certainly know which political candidate they're voting for. And we certainly know which side God is on, don't we? He, of course, is on our side, the side of the righteous signs. And God forbid that the candidate whose sign we face off against in our neighborhood, God forbid that they should win the sign wars. Every day our anxiety grows and we worry more and more What if, insert name of your non-preferred political candidate here, what if that individual should win? Hmm? That is why our text today perhaps makes us so very uncomfortable. God does not play by our rules in any stretch of the imagination, and he certainly doesn't play by our rules regarding his ways and his power. And he certainly does not engage in sign wars. But in our text today, he did give us a sign thereof. Like that, that's a little play on words. A sign thereof of his power, of his sovereignty, of his hand working in human history. Isaiah begins our text from the 45th chapter with some very bizarre words. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, to whose right hand I have grasped. 150 to 200 years before the event itself, God, Yahweh, is is not only saying his children will be in captivity, but they will be freed by a pagan king, a pagan king named Cyrus. Now fast forward those 200 years and skipping through quite a large number of events. Let's place ourselves today in 539 BC. God's people, his children are there in captivity in Babylon. They have been there now for quite a few generations, and during that time, those in exile locked in behind the walls of that empire. They've had no access to the Judean hills, to the Jordan River, to the ruins of the city of great kings, Jerusalem. Those deportees could only dream of a land so long ago that was promised to their ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Gone forever, or so it seemed, was, was the smell of sacrifice in, in the temple, the singing of psalms and worship. Passover, Sukkot, Yom Kippur, these were fading memories from their minds. The exiles appeared forever locked behind those strong gates of Babylon, surrounded by this pagan nation. But then that year, that year where we're finding ourselves in 539 B.C., those same gates which have separated them from their homes for so many years, those great walls of Babylon were simply opened, quite literally just opened. Opened to who? The one who was named 150 so odd years earlier, Cyrus of Persia. Now imagine being held captive in this pagan nation for so long only to realize that your liberator was not some holy warrior of God like like David or Gideon, but rather someone that did not even know Yahweh, but was chosen by him to be your deliverance so that everyone would know that it was the Lord's hand that was at work. Talk about making a statement about who's ultimately in control. And while neighboring kingdoms always competed in their own versions of sign wars, making alliances with one group or another, and while God's people suffered in exile, and while the hope of a deliverer seemed further and further away with each passing day, God always remained true to his people. He kept his promises and even even used things that, when we read the text, confound and puzzle us. If we recall from a few readings ago, also in the book of Isaiah, the prophet records that the Lord's ways are not our own ways. And that is why our text today from Isaiah 45, the beginning verse, is so troubling and yet comforting at the same time. It is troubling for us because we see God working through a pagan king. After all, we want God to work in ways that we understand. We want to see him working in the people that we think he should use. But this text may also bring us comfort, especially right now as the sign wars rage. God is still the sovereign God of his creation. For it was Yahweh that caused his people to be taken into captivity and have those Babylon gates shut upon them. And he brought forth Cyrus and and caused his hand to march upon those Babylonians. But it was also Yahweh, it was by God's hands that the gates of Babylon were opened. And they were opened to God's own children, fulfilling his word and his promise to them. For those of us today locked in the sign wars of our neighborhoods. Perhaps shut down and locked behind the anxiety of what a future will hold if our preferred candidate does not get elected in a few weeks. For those of us who are arrested behind the walls of worry and dread and fears. To those who are captive with the what-ifs of a life increasingly held by the sways of partisan political leanings. Our text today, the Lord invites us. He invites you and me to rest our hearts and our minds in his sovereign actions and be reminded that the pagan kings, the godly kings, the pagan nations, the godly nations, nothing has ever thwarted his promise to his children, and nothing ever will. We're reminded that even someone as wicked as Cyrus was a part of God's plan to keep his word to his people. For we have a God who reminds us today that he is the Lord of all history, and his plan to rescue those bound behind the gates of separation and sin from him was never thwarted. In fact, all of history revolves not around the freedom of the captivity of those held in captivity in Babylon, but the freedom of all humanity that was once held in another form of captivity, another type of Babylon, sin and separation from our Creator. And to we who know that captivity of sin, when our Lord marched into the darkness of those gates and opened them wide, for us, to him, in our baptism. When we were set free, not by Cyrus, but by Jesus, our hearts and our minds now find rest. For we know that our Lord is the God of my life, of your life, of all of human history. He is the one that crushes the sign wars that we obsess so much over when we gather together as brothers and sisters here in his sanctuary. He is the one that unites us together in, with, and under bread and wine of Holy Communion as we receive him this day in that Holy Sacrament. He is the one who reminds us that no matter the future, he is in charge, for it is him who has orchestrated kings and kingdoms throughout history, and his promise and his word will always be fulfilled. Brothers and sisters today, may our text comfort us with the reminder that we have been set free from the captivity of Babylon, our own sin, and we have also been set free from the fear and the anxiety of what may happen if we perchance lose those sign wars with our neighbors, because after all, God has freed us to a different kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, claimed us as his own. And in a few weeks, in a few weeks, no matter what those signs may say, remember this. You have been baptized into Christ. You have been freed from the captivity of Babylon. And your God is the sovereign God of of all of history, and his promise will remain true to you and to me for the sake of his Son, Jesus Christ. For his name's sake, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.